again, we do these declarations because there's power when we speak words out. Because if the Lord said, let there be light, and light was released from his mouth at 186,000 miles per second, we believe that there's power when the word of God is spoken, right? All right, so read this with me. I am a walking revival because God lives in me. And what I believe changes the world. So today I declare God loves me all the time. Nothing can separate me from his love. Jesus' blood paid for everything. I will tell nations what he has done. I am important in the kingdom. How God made me is amazing. I was designed for worship. My mouth establishes praise that silences the enemy. Everywhere I go, God goes. Everywhere God goes, I go. Because God lives in me. And with God, nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. Let's give him some praise. Amen. 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 Praise God. Yeah, the kiddos. The kiddos will go with Miss Jamie. Amen. Thank you, Neil. And uh, it's our honor and privilege to have our district superintendent and my friend, Dr. Brian Powell with us this morning, and uh, we love you. Brian's just a part of our church anyway, him and Heather and the family, and uh, we love you and honor you. And, and what we do here, I'm just going to be honest, is because he has supported us, because he has believed in, in myself and April and what the Lord's called us to do. And, and, I, and, and he's given us a lot of trust and freedom here, and that's not lost on me. And so I, I thank you, and we honor you this morning. Let's welcome an honor to be here, especially when I was here the day we came to look at this piece of property. <laughs> I remember. I, I got dirty with the crew, you know, carrying the trash out and, and making all things new. That's what God does, right? And so I, I not only thank him for what he does, but I thank him for what he's doing because this is just the beginning. And uh, I want to talk to you today a little bit about what it means to, to be the church that God's called us to be. Amen? Uh, I read a story a while back about a pastor that boarded an airplane uh, dressed uh, pretty casual in a pair of blue jeans and a, and a T-shirt, and he sat down next to a well-dressed business guy, young guy, reading the Wall Street Journal. And they exchanged the usual pleasantries, and uh, then the pastor asked the young guy what he did for a living. And the young guy with obvious pride said, I am in the figure spa business. We change a person's entire self-image by changing their body. The pastor said, uh, well, have you been doing that long? And the guy said, no, I just graduated college with a business degree a couple of years ago, but... The company I work for has already given me so much responsibility that I hope to be managing the eastern part of the operation within the next few years. The pastor said, oh, so you're a national organization. He, the young man said, oh, yes, we're the only organization of our kind in the nation. 
And then came the inevitable question that gets asked to every pastor. And what do you do for a living? It's interesting, the pastor said, we are actually in very similar businesses. You're in the body changing business and I am in the personality changing business. He said, in my field, we apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. The young man had no idea what that meant, but he said, you know, I've heard about that. Do you have an office here in the city? Oh yes, the pastor says, we have offices throughout the state. In fact, we've gone international and management has a plan to put at least one office in every country by the end of the business era. Then the pastor paused and said, do you have that in your business? The guy said, no, not yet, but you mentioned management. What does that look like? How does that work? The pastor said, well, it's a family business. There's this father and son that run everything. <laughs> the guy said, wow, that must take a lot of capital. He said, yeah, but uh, we don't ever worry about money. We have this saying about our boss that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The young man scratched his head and said, oh, so he's into ranching too? Then he asked, what about the employees? And the pastor said, oh, the employees, there's something special. There's a spirit that pervades the organization. The father and son love each other so much that it just sort of filters down to all of us. The pastor said, I know this sounds unbelievable, but I know people in my organization that would be willing to die for me. Do you have that in your organization? The young man said, no, but there are a few people we'd like to kill. Then the young man said, what about the benefits? The pastor said, oh, they're amazing. I've got complete life insurance, fire insurance, all the basics. He said, you might not believe this, but I got a mansion being built for my retirement as we speak. Do you have that in your business? By this point, the young man was feeling like the figure spa business wasn't exactly the business to be in, you know. And finally he said, but can the operation last? I mean, companies come and go and the pastor said, oh, I think we got a pretty good future. After all, we've got a 2,000 year run going. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the church. That's what we're part of. <laughs> That's what River City Hope is part of. Something that's so much larger than itself. Something that reaches so far beyond these walls and we thank God that we're able to be part of something that extends far beyond ourselves and will far outlive us, amen. And I wanna tell you today that Jesus doesn't just call us to go to church. You see, that's the consumer church culture that we live in. He doesn't just call us to attend meetings. He calls us to be the church. <laughs> Let me say that again. He doesn't call us to go to church. He calls us to be the church. You should have turned with me to Acts chapter 2, if you would, and your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. I didn't realize this. Pastor Michael said he had been preaching a lot from Acts, and so we're going to just continue that uh, this morning. The Holy Spirit knows how to lead us, doesn't he? Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and if you could stand with me as we read the word this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's the essentials in one sentence. You know what the New Testament is, don't you? 
It is the captured body of apostolic teaching. It is the apostles' teaching. That's what it is. And everyone was filled with awe. That means they were, they were filled with wonder and inspiration. They couldn't believe what was happening. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That's normal Christianity, by the way. And all believers were together. That means they were in unity and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods and gave to anyone as he had need. I want to tell you something. There's not a church on the district that has done more to make that sentence a reality than this church. I look around this room and I see people who have left homes and other places to come and be part of the good thing God's doing here. We ought to praise God for that. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you give us a picture of what the church is supposed to look like right here in a few verses. And God, I, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross today. Uh, I don't want to be seen or heard ever. I want Jesus to be lifted up. It's in his precious name we pray and together we say, you may be seated. How, how would you describe the church if someone were to ask you, I mean, would you say that the church is the one entity that blows every other activity in this world out of the water? I mean, would you say that the church is the most dynamic, vibrant thing going on on the planet? Would you say that the church is the one thing that you would be willing to give your life to that's going to live on long after you're gone? Um, you know, there was a time in my life when I wouldn't have said any of that. I want to be honest with you. I wouldn't have said any of that. I was fine with Jesus, but I just didn't like the church. I loved Jesus. He was my buddy, you know, but I didn't like the church. And, and uh, th there was a time when I looked at the church and all I saw was a bunch of dead, stagnant, 501c3 organizations that was about as far from relevant as anything I could imagine. In my eyes back then, the church was just organized religion and everything that I didn't like about organized religion. So why am I standing here? I've told that story many times and I've been asked, well, what happened? Well, I want to tell you what happened. I met Jesus, really, and he messed up my life, right? I mean, he just flipped everything on its head. God changed my life in such a radical way that I stopped being someone that was just a spectator of Christianity and I became a radical follower of Jesus and I've been chasing him ever since. I've been chasing hard after him ever since. And I believe now that God can do absolutely anything. I believe everything that he says in his word that he can do now. I don't believe that anything is lost on him now that wasn't lost on him then. The problem's not God's ability. The problem is our response in faith to what God can do. 
That's the only problem. The problem is our distractions in this world. We have our eyes on all kinds of other things rather than what God is. He's exceedingly and abundantly able to do above everything that I can ask. That means my best prayer on my best day, he can do better than that. Or everything that I can imagine. That means my wildest dreams on the greatest day of my life, he can do better than that. And he's always doing that in my favor whether I like it or not. I believe God can do anything and you can't talk me out of it. When Jesus changes a person's life, really, it takes, I'm not talking about giving Jesus a nod and a wink. I'm talking about a life transformation where life takes on a new direction. People become disciples. That means they're followers that are always pressing in to the presence of the Holy Spirit, not just in a worship service, but every day in their living room, in their bedroom, at the workplace, at the schoolhouse, wherever it may be. Pressing into intimacy and closeness with Jesus. I believe with all my heart, intimacy is keys to success in this Christian walk. And the problem is that many Christians are not disciples. They're Christian by name only, and that's why this world is filled with people who call themselves Christians, and they're 10 miles wide and two inches deep. Do you really know what a church full of genuine disciple Jesus chasers look like? Do you know? I mean, how would you, I mean, I would say that, you know, I'm not sure that I can describe it. I'm talking about fired up, fueled up, meat-eating, bungee-jumping, Navy SEALs mixed with ninja, packs all sold in, all-out followers of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. Now, the, the church that we discover in this passage is just that. They're a church that's changed. They're serious about changing the world. I think River City's serious about changing the world. And a church that changes the world is always a church that's been changed by the word. Any church that's gonna change the world, really make an impact in society, has been, the whole church has been changed by the word. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Really what that means is the first thing the early church did, it says every day they gathered, is they really opened a school. And the teachers were the apostles. And I've already told you that's what the New Testament is. is, It's the body of captured apostolic teaching. Aren't you glad you have that? So today to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, what that means is you're devoted to Scripture. You're devoted to the word. In in fact, a church that is really being the church will always be a biblical church. There's not another kind. Teaching will be based on the Bible. Mission will be based on the Bible. Prayer, expectations, everything we do will be based on the Bible. And the more we gather around the word of God, the more the word of God transforms us so that we can transform the world, right? The more the word transforms us, the more we are empowered to become God's transformation in society. God's word should inspire us, it should shape us, it should form us, it should step on our toes. We should sense conviction and thank God for conviction. We run away from conviction. We ought to thank God for the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit that steps on our toes while we follow Jesus. You know why the Holy Spirit steps on your toes? Because he's drawing you closer. He's drawing you closer and he loves you. He loves you. 
In Acts 2, it's a passage that gives us, I believe, one of the clearest pictures imaginable of the church that Jesus envisioned. The church that Jesus came, lived, died, resurrected for, and is coming back again for. That's what he wants us to be. And essentially, it was right after this day known as the day of Pentecost when the, when the first followers of Christ experienced the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus essentially said, and is still saying, you know what, you're not gonna have me with you. Instead, you're gonna have me in you. <laughs> Uh, you're not gonna have my arms and my legs and my mouth and my eyes and my ears, but you are my body, right? That's what he's saying. And then Jesus returned to heaven. The Holy Spirit came, empowered people that made the ongoing presence of God a reality. And immediately, thousands upon thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we see happening right here. So a, a church that changes the world is a church that's changed by the apostles' teaching, <laughs> the word. And a church that's changed by the word or the apostles' teaching is a church that makes disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, if we've been changed by the word, then we're a disciple-making church because that's the great commission, right? That's what Jesus teaches us to do before he leaves in Matthew 28. Man, I call that the great revolution. That's what I like to call it because in the great commission, Jesus unleashed a revolution that turned the world on its head. Now, you might hear that someone is a disciple of something, Right? Logan is a disciple of worship music. He's good at it, too. He's anointed, and he studies it continually because that's what God called him to do, right? I, I mean, you might hear that someone is a disciple of, of martial arts or, 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 or working out or music theory or, or theater or drama or some academic school of thought. Uh, and, and in church, we often talk of discipleship, but the problem is that most of the time, we think discipleship in our church culture in America means spoon-feeding people and entertaining them for an hour or so. Thank God he's cutting air on. Amen, brother. Thank you, Lord. People say, why don't you lose that coat? Because by the time I get to this point, I'm sweating through the back so bad, even with a T-shirt on, and I don't want you to see that, okay? <laughs> Let's, discipleship is not when someone is actively talking and someone else is passively listening. That's not discipleship. What we do here today, there may be an element of discipleship, like you may be challenged by what I'm preaching to you or inspired by the preaching. That's an element of it, but that is not the end of it. You may be challenged to go and learn more about whatever I'm speaking to you about and learn to walk in that because ultimately discipleship is not about hearing the word and understanding the word. It's about doing the word. That's what it's about. Discipleship, again, it's not, uh, Jesus didn't just actively talk and all the disciples sort of take a rock, you know, and, and passively li listen with their notepad. That's not what they did. And, and, and that's why this misunderstanding where people in churches constantly complain and skip from church to church because they say, I'm not being fed. The only person's job to feed you is the Holy Spirit. 
And it's your job to take the feeding. <laughs> right? Uh, you see, if, if this strategy of someone actively talking and someone else passively listening worked, then why aren't there more disciples like we read about in the Bible running around? I mean, the word disciple comes from the Greek word in the Greek text, methetes. Everybody say that, methetes. It means learner. That's what it means. It means learner, literally. And the idea of being a learner puts the action of learning firmly into the lap of the one taking up the mantle of learning. It's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to do what God's called me to do. You know what I think we ought to do when it comes to church? Go to the place God's called us to and dig our heels in. That's right. And if it's not where you think it ought to be or where God's, then you get involved to help it become that thing that God's calling it to become. And that's what I love about this church. Now, I want you to think about how discipleship worked with Jesus. He invited a group of people to share life with him for 36 months, right? And there was an invitation to learn, not just to enter this passive process of being fed. They were, they were expected to do what Jesus did, not just hear what Jesus said. That was the expectation. And, and if, if, you know, if, that, if, if the way we view discipleship in our modern culture, you know, somebody speaking, somebody listening uh, worked, then, you know, one disciple didn't learn much of anything under Jesus. Judas, right? And, and you know what? I'm not willing to say that Jesus wasn't a good disciple maker. I don't know if you are, but. And here's the truth about being a learner. Growing spiritually, growing in the presence of Jesus is something that can be served to you by other people, but ultimately, you gotta own it. You gotta put on the mantle of self-development, right? Uh, and, and the book of Hebrews tell us uh, about these people. Uh, I think that it, the book the Hebrews writer describes well the people in our day that keep looking to go somewhere where they get fed. You know, really that whole getting fed thing is all about the consumer. It's all about what makes them feel good, what's pleasing to their ears, what tickles their fancy, whatever. And the book of Hebrews tells us that people who keep looking to get fed only are in arrested development. It's like they're babies who never grow up, always wanting the bottle. Now, you might think I'm being sarcastic. That is not me. That is the Hebrews writer's sarcasm. That's his sarcasm. Uh, look, I'm going to read it to you, Hebrews 5. I don't think I have this on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. We have much to, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food, and anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So it's not about finding the best teacher or making sure you're in the best small group or, you know, all that stuff, it's just supplements. Those are just add-ons. Praise God for supplements. But the heart of being a disciple is for you to get in the Bible. It is for you to engage discipling relationships. It is for you to take up the mantle of learning as a follower of Jesus. And I'm gonna just throw this in. It's not in my notes, but one of the only ways you're ever gonna grow as a follower of Jesus is to submit 
to accountability to someone else. I've got three people in my life, one of which has been speaking into my life since the day I said, yes, I'll follow Jesus. And some of you know him. His name's Kenny Greenway. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. He's not always the cheeriest of men. But I gave him permission 20 years ago and I feel like God put him in my life to watch my life, to hold me accountable, to be brutally honest with me. He has permission to say anything and he has said some things to me over the years that I've left seething mad about. Like I'm never talking to that guy again. I'm so mad at him. But after the Holy Spirit speaks to me and the conviction sets in within a week or two, I'm calling him back weeping and thanking him for pointing that out in my life. That is the kind of accountability we got to have if we're going to grow. I've got two others. I think you need more than one. You need all kinds of eyes looking at your life that has permission from you to ask you anything, to say anything to you, to call you and say, you know what, I see this going on in your life. I don't think you see it, but you've got a blind spot. Those are the kind of accountability relationships we've got to have if we're gonna grow as Christ followers. One of the key components to being a disciple is being an open book, being transparent about your life. So a church that changes the world is a church changed by the word, the apostles' teaching, right? And a church changed by the word makes disciples that makes disciples. And a church serious about making disciples is a church serious about changing the world. <laughs> it's just this circular process, right? We're right back to world changing, you know? You know, again, someone were to ask why, why study the Bible, I can almost guarantee you if we were to do a poll just a public uh, poll, why do people study the Bible? I, I bet you the number one answer would be to understand it and to know what it says. And that's not the reason we study it. The reason we study it primarily is to do what it says. <laughs> it's to live like it says, right? James says in chapter one, verses 22 through 25, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after seeing themselves, goes away immediately and forgets what they look like. But the one who intently looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to what? Do it. Not forgetting what they have heard. They'll be blessed in what they <laughs> it's interesting to me that James illustrates this with mirrors because we're, we're used to seeing clear reflections in mirrors. How many of you looked in a mirror today? Many of you look like you did. Some of you look like you didn't, but um, I'm just kidding. Good looking people here. You know, but clear reflections, that's what we see in a mirror, but that's not what they would have seen in James's day. They didn't have the kind of mirrors we have. Their mirrors, uh, they, were, they weren't crystal clear reflections. They weren't even made of reflective glass. In fact, you know what mirrors in James's day were made of? Copper or brass. How many of you would like to get ready by looking at the, at the bottom of a pot out of the kitchen? Wouldn't work, would it? Right, and, and so there, people would have to then, in, 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 you know, it was a blurry image, it was a vague image at best, and so as James is describing here, people would have to look at themselves intently to see what needed to be fixed, right? You know, what needs to be done with the hair or with the, with the makeup or the clothes or, or the robe or the beard or, or whatever. 
And so with that understanding, listen again, James, verses 23 through 24. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like one who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. See the point? It's a mirror for our soul. Anyone who listens to the word and learns the word and knows the word but doesn't live the word. It's like someone spending all their time in front of a mirror to get a reflection of what needs to be done and goes away and does nothing. They immediately get distracted. They spend all that time for nothing. Their hair, their hair is still a wreck. Their shirt needs ironing. Their tie's all messed up. Their beard's gapped. They got makeup smeared all over their face. Why do we spend all this time trying to see and then walk away and do nothing? Why would we do that? I'd say that's a very unwise thing to do with God's word. Yeah. Which is the ultimate mirror. That's, that's your mirror. You know, why we, you know why we walk away and do nothing? Because our culture has bought into a warped view of discipleship. That's why. We believe that spiritual growth, I'm right back to the beginning, is something that's done to us or for us, but that's not the church's job. People say, make me close to Jesus. I can't make you close to Jesus. <laughs> Only you can get close to Jesus. <laughs> you know, uh, save my marriage. It's not the church's job to save your marriage. But Jesus will save your marriage if you'll get close to Jesus. And, you know, raise my kids. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. People take their kids to a youth group for an hour or so a week and think that's going to raise them to be great followers of Jesus. It's not the church's job to raise your kids. It's your job to raise your kids in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Give me friends. The church can't give you friends. Some people, it's impossible to be their friend. And, and it's not the church's job to, 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 to give you friends. It's your job in the presence of Jesus to be friends, part of the body. Feed me. It's not the church's job to feed you. Jesus will feed you, though, if you press in. It's not the church's job to give you the life you want. It is the church's job to connect you with the one who can. Hallelujah. So, so, so whether you do it or not, it's up to you. Now, the church, certainly the church can't change you, but praise God, Jesus can. Now, of course, the church is a supplement to those who need help with their marriage. It's a supplement to those who need help raising a child. It offers community for relationships. It offers resources for a vibrant relationship with Jesus, but it cannot circumvent your choices. The church cannot live your life for you. Only you can live your life for you. Logan, could you come and uh, maybe play? I'll tell you a story, and then we're going to transition into something else. In 1904, 
16-year-old young man named William Borden graduated from Chicago, uh, Chicago High School. And he was heir to the Borden family fortune. And as a graduation gift before leaving for his Ivy League education, his parents sent him on a trip uh, around the world. And as he traveled through Asia and the Middle East and Europe, young William Borden, 16 years old, developed this deep burden for the hurting people of the world. And while on that trip, he wrote home to his family about his desire to become a minister and a missionary. And a lot of people, as they heard that, grew skeptical of his decision, saying, oh, William, you'll be wasting your life doing that. You need to, you need to assume your proper place as the heir to the family empire, right? These were wealthy people. And in response, Borden opened his Bible, and in the back he wrote two words, no reserves. In other words, it didn't matter what they said. He was going to chase Jesus. Borden arrived in 1905 on the campus at Yale University. And the classmates there at Yale quickly noticed something unusual about him. And it wasn't that he was wealthy. It was that he had a deep love for Jesus and for Scripture. And Borden started a small prayer group at Yale that ended up transforming campus life. This group grew rapidly, and by the end of the first year, 150 freshmen at Yale were meeting every week for Bible study and prayer. By his senior year, over 1,000 of the 1,300 students at that time at Yale were meeting weekly. Borden's missionary called Nero to China. And once he fixed his eyes on that goal, he never wavered. And upon graduation, Borden turned down some high-paying jobs. And in the back of his Bible, under no reserves, he wrote, no retreat. No retreat. He went on to graduate from Princeton Seminary with, after earning a master's there in New Jersey and when he finished his studies at Princeton he sailed for China and since he was hoping to work with Muslims he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic and while he was there he contracted spinal meningitis and within one month 25 year old William Borden died true story when the news of Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., nearly every American newspaper carried the story. And sorrow over the loss of this amazing young man was felt all over the United States. Many believed, still continued to say, oh, that kid wasted his life. He should have focused on the family fortune, the family business, rather than going around the world trying to reach people. The missionary group in, uh, mailed Borden's belongings in a box, what few he had, back to his family in the States. And as they opened, 
his Bible, which was in that box, and turned to the back, they discovered that underneath the words, no reserve and no retreat, while laying sick, dying in Egypt, he had written, no regrets. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. That's what a disciple looks like. As a young man, William Borden made a conscious decision to give up his wealth and his influence and his claim to the family business and all the advantages that would have came along with that. Said he decided to be a follower. Do you know how many thousands of young men and women attribute their calling to mission work and pastoral ministry to the story of William Borden? So, you know, I, I think many are tempted to play it safe. May River City never be a church that plays it safe. You know, and, and those that do play it safe when it comes to following Jesus, you know what happens? They frequently look back at their life when they get to the end and have a whole lot of regrets. Jesus never said it'd be easy. But he did say it'd be worth it. Amen. And the call for us today is to authentically be the church. May River City authentically be the church by following Jesus, by being serious about making disciples, by taking the word for what it says and not just hearing it, but doing it, and by changing the world that's outside those doors. Jesus doesn't call us to go to church calls us to be the church. Amen? Say that with me, will you? Jesus doesn't call us to go to church. He calls us to be the church. Lord, I thank you for this church, and I know they're committed. And Lord, I've loved watching what you're doing here. It's amazing. God, we give you praise and honor and glory for everybody sitting in this room today part of this journey up to this point and we're going to enter into a new phase of this journey and God I pray that you would give them vision beyond anything they could comprehend and God I, I pray that they would increase in number Lord oh, we've got another space rented over here I believe right and, and Lord we pray we fill them both up let's fill them both up God, as you do what only you can do through these people, I pray your blessings on Pastor Michael and Abel and, and the pastoral leadership of this church. And God, do what only you can do. In the precious name of Christ, I pray. And together I say, amen. Would you all stand with me? I'm going to invite Michael to the stage. And I say that on this day, yeah, in April, uh, we are gathered on this Lord's Day for a special purpose of officially organizing River City Church of the Nazarene. Let's give God praise for that, amen. 
Now, you're already a church. I'm just here to say some words, all right? Uh, but I do think that today the life of this congregation moves to a new level as it embraces the, the, the responsibilities of being a congregation that is committed to reaching beyond the walls in tangible ways. And on behalf of the global family that is the Church of the Nazarene, I commend you, commend you for the vision. River City Hope's more than a church name. That is a vision. I commend you for the vision. I commend you for your diligence. I've seen this guy work himself to death. And give joy, uh, give honor and praise to Jesus the whole way. Amen. Um, I, I commend you for your heart. I, I love seeing the pictures and often wish I could be there when the revival family gets together. <laughs> I commend you for that type of community that you have. That is an authentic expression of the kingdom in this world. That's what that is. And by this act of organization, you are declaring your intention as a collective group to share, partake in what it is to be part of the global revival family. That is the Church of the Nazarene. In fulfilling this common mission to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. You know, the Church of the Nazarene, many of you know this, but we've got three core values. We are Christian people. It means we're Christ followers. We are holiness people. And we are missional people. When we say we're Christian people, what we mean is we stand with Christians everywhere around the world in affirming the historic nature of the church, what God's called us to be. And, and we deeply value the, the particular heritage that we're part of, which is the Wesleyan holiness tradition. We look at the Bible as our primary source of truth about Jesus. Where holiness means we believe that the grace of God not only provides forgiveness of sins, but has the power to cleanse our hearts and fill us with a deep awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives and upon our lives. And we thank God for the gracious act of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us and empower us to live like Jesus. We're missional people which means that we believe God calls us to participate in the kingdom in all the nations around the world. And we do this by preaching the gospel unashamedly and through acts of compassion for the least of these and acts of justice for those who have been pushed out and by making disciples who live like Jesus. Pastor, would you please now present those who will be the charter members of River City Church?